Hi, I'm Alice. Welcome to the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution, the podcast from the Postdoc Development Center at Queen's University, Belfast. This episode features Dr. Sean Spence, Cluster Investigational Product Manager in Sanofi. Sean talks about his career in the field of clinical trials, his experience of transitioning from academia to industry, and of working from home. This conversation was recorded in June 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemics. It was done from my bedroom using an online meeting platform, so the quality of sound probably won't be as good as from our Queen studio, but I hope you still enjoy it. Hi, Sean. Uh, thank you for joining us today. So uh, our guest, guys, is Dr. Sean Spence. Sean has a PhD in immunology and he did his PhD at Queen's uh, University Belfast here. Uh, I met Sean when I moved to Belfast myself for my postdoc in the Center for Infection and Immunity, which now would be the Welcome Wolfson Institute for Experimental Medicine. And Sean was a postdoc there at the time. It was the reference for everybody in immunology and crack. Um, so today we're going to talk to Sean about his career because he's now moved outside of academia. He worked on clinical trials first in Dublin and he's, he's going to talk to us a little bit about that and now he's working in Sanofi. So uh, Sean, you're the cluster investigational product manager at Sanofi for uh, the Northern Baltic, UK and Ireland region. And you're going to explain to us all, of, all about it uh, today. So thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it and welcome. No, thank, thank you very much, uh, Alisa. It's really, really lovely to have the opportunity to speak to you guys. I, I recognize a few of the names um that have joined up to, uh, to to this podcast so um it's nice to see some friendly faces as well and and just to offer my opinions about um the differences between industry and academia um it's really nice to have this opportunity because it, it was something that wasn't available um when i was at queen for the postdoc yes and i guess Just before starting with the questions, a little disclaimer to say that everything you're telling us here is not said on behalf of Sanofi, but it's just your own personal uh, opinion and experience. Um, yeah. And I think most of our listeners will be aware of Sanofi. It's quite a very famous um, pharmaceutical company, but for those of us who may not know that much about it, could you give us a little introduction about the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sanofi, they are a, a multinational, uh, huge global company. Um, they employ about 100,000 people worldwide and we operate in about 100 countries. So we do have a lot of research and manufacturing um, facilities spread around the world as well. So, um, you know, including the UK and Ireland and 70, 70 odd other countries as well. And we mainly focus on uh, drugs for speciality care, uh, vaccines, general medicine and consumer health. So um, we, we focus a lot on kind of oncology and, and rare diseases, 
diabetes, cardiovascular research, uh, respiratory medicine, and neurology. Um, just to give you an example of uh, kind of how much research Sanofi does, um, we invested 6.02 billion euros um, in research worldwide uh, in 2019 alone. Um, and, and we are kind of moving on now to therapeutic areas that are, they, they don't have um, any available medications. So we are looking now into mainly neurological conditions and orphan diseases where there's no medicine available, um, such as um, kind of primary progressive multiple sclerosis. Um, so yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. And uh, can you tell us now a little bit about your own role and which part you play in all this, uh, this very big company? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it is a huge, a huge company and there's a lot of people working together, you know, to, to, to uh, treat patients and, and give them a bit of a, um, a better quality of life. Um, so my role in Sanofi is um, the Cluster Investigational Product Manager. Um, so I, I work mainly for the UK, Ireland and what we call the Northern Baltic countries in Europe. So those are Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Estonia, Iceland, Lithuania and Latvia. And my role really is to directly manage and support those, um, those people working in my team across those countries. And collectively, we organise IMP shipments and and deliveries and and getting medicine to to patients in about a thousand different trial sites across those countries. So, my main role is kind of supporting my team in organising and controlling um, the logistics of, of of delivering and manufacturing um, the IMP. That's you. Sorry, to interrupt you. What do yeah. you mean by IMP? Just Apologies. Yes. So <laughs> IMP is um, the, the acronym for investigational medicinal product. It's a regulatory term. So it's uh, in terms of trial drugs, you'll often find it referred to as IMP um, because it's it's an in, it's a, a medicine that isn't marketed for use. So you can't just have this prescribed um, by a doctor if you're not on a clinical trial uh, and it can't be obviously purchased over the counter. Okay, uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. Keep me right, Elise. Keep me right. Um, so yeah, so my main, you know, my and my team's work is is ensuring that the that the investigational medicinal product gets to the right place at the right time and that, you know, the, those hospitals and GP clinics or, or community centres or, or, or whatever are suitable for that drug. So we, we obviously need to ensure that those facilities are able to store the drug in a safe way and that the doctors and nurses and pharmacists are trained to prepare that drug and to administer that drug. So we have a lot of conversations with those people because really we are um, kind of the gatekeepers to, to ensure that, you know, the patients are treated safely uh, and that we, you know, we respect and, and safeguard their rights and well-being. Um, so my main function is really looking at those sites through audit inspections, ensuring that, you know, 
the, the, the facilities can comply with any um, regulations required by the country health authorities and the research ethics committees um, and make sure that that IMP should be where it's at and nowhere else. Um, obviously, everybody in the world has been uh, impacted by COVID-19. Um, so my role has actually changed and evolved a lot recently. So we, as a company, we had to adopt new practices and, and new ways of working um, in order to ensure that our, our patients could still receive their medicine. So in some of these situations, um, the only option that a patient has is our clinical trial drug. Um, so we've organised ways that our our medicines can be carried directly to the patient's home uh, by, you know, uh, in a in a safe way that's temperature monitored, um, so that it, you know, it, it doesn't get too cold or it doesn't get too hot, um, which could affect its uh, the efficacy of that drug. Um, we've also been really heavily involved in in other things like home nursing. You know, if if a patient uh, needs bloods taken, for example, in order to ensure that, you know, concentrations of the, the medicines at the right level, you know, we need to, to get a nurse to those patients. So um, it's been uh, a, a very difficult um, process. Um, but obviously, you know, in the UK, we entered lockdown in, at the end of March, um, in Ireland a little bit earlier, and in other countries like Italy and, and other places, We've had to implement those really quickly to, to comply with the lockdown recommendations of the government. Um, so in addition to that, you know, COVID-19 has impacted supply of medicines that are used on a day-to-day -day basis as standard of care by doctors and nurses. Um, so my role has really been liaising a lot with uh, the Department of Health in different countries or the equivalent. Um, because they have been asking Sanofi for donations of medicines that are in short supply. So um, I have a role to play in, in helping out with that as well. Okay, so a lot of logistics and organizing and making sure things are done properly. Um, like just shortly in the, in the typical day, what does that actually look like? What do you actually physically do during your days, your typical day of work? Yeah, um, it's probably exactly what you do, Elise, and you know what everybody else on the call also does. And it, my job involves a lot of paperwork, um, huge amounts of paperwork. Um, we we have to document everything we do, uh, just just like when you're working in in at the bench side, or um, you know you've got to you've got to keep a, a good lab book. You've got to you know document everything so that. It can be reconstructed by anybody at the end of a trial and end of a, you know, end of your PhD, for example. Um, we have to do that for for clinical trials. So it's a highly regulated industry. Um, in the UK, for example, we have the medicines and healthcare products regulatory industry um, and the Health Research Authority. So you might know them as the MHRA and the HRA. Um, in Ireland, we also have the HPRA, which is the Health and, and Products Regulatory Agency. Um, and their role is primarily um, to protect the safety, rights and well-being of, our, of the patients that are involved in our trial. And, and as the sponsor 
of those trials as the person who's manufacturing those medicines. Uh, we also are involved in maintaining those rights, safety and well-being, um, which is also referred to as good clinical practice. Um, in you know, in addition to this, uh, my role as investigational medicinal product manager, um, I actually am even more constrained by this. I have to also follow and ensure that our, our products comply with what's called good manufacturing practice and good distribution practice. So we have to ensure that um, our drug is manufactured and maintained um, consistently across the board and is of good quality and is safe for use. And then uh, we have to ensure traceability and accountability of our product. So um, it needs to be, you know, each step of the supply from, from the manufacturing depot to um, being stored in our warehouses, being shipped to different countries, and then being shipped from those uh, in within those individual countries to the hospitals. Each of those steps needs to be fully documented um, because otherwise um, we aren't uh, complying with our regulatory responsibilities. So yeah, a huge amount of paperwork and does require a very quali quality orientated eye, which um, has taken a long time to develop. Sure, I'm sure about that. And I imagine quite a lot of meetings too uh, with a lot of people. Um, and what, what's the part about this job that you enjoy the most? Yes, I mean, the, the most, the, the best thing is working from home. I absolutely love it. Um, uh, I get to pick my own hours and it, it's very flexible in the confines of getting the job done. So, you know, I I I work on a on a multinational basis. The um, the con the company itself is French, but it has um, large operations in in Asia, large operations in North America. Um, so, I do have to occasionally work early hours uh, to to take calls or, or or late hours to take calls. But I am flexible within those times, and and Sanofi is quite good at you know, allowing you to pick those hours. So in addition, I think the role is really varied. Um, everything I do is is much the same on a day to day basis, broadly speaking, but there are differences throughout the day and you have to be very good at problem solving and and, and communicating with different people uh, to kind of figure out the specifics of, of what has happened. Um, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, and I think, you know, um, it's a, a very multinational company, um, but everybody is different. And Sanofi recognised that, you know, the different cultures in those in those different countries are, are very different. Um, and we celebrate that and we, we just work as part of a team. And it, it's great um, getting to know people from different countries who are doing the same job as you and how they do it slightly different depending upon where they are. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. And and I'm sure as every job, nothing's perfect. What do you find the most challenging uh, in this role? Yeah, I mean, the, the most the most challenging thing is kind of um, potentially setting up new trial sites that we've never worked with before. So um, we currently work with about a thousand different hospitals across um, the countries that I work with and manage. Um, 
but there are obviously far more hospitals and GP clinics in that in that area than we ever work with. And we we look at those hospital sites depending upon the experience that they have, maybe the doctors and and the patients that they treat. Um, so Sanofi at the moment have really heavily invested in new innovative medicines and um, we are still getting to grips with um, the mode of action of how they work, how they are manufactured um, and, and new ways uh, that they work and it, it can be very taxing on your brain and there's a lot of information to take in um, but it's highly rewarding and you know in terms of that um, you know when when you see these new new drugs and how they can impact a patient's life, it it's really gives you a sense of achievement. Um, I think the other thing that I would find quite challenging is um, working with each country's different regulatory bodies. Um, so, for example, what what's illegal in one country and allowed to you know and 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 probably standard in one country might not necessarily be the case in another. So you have to tailor the way that you work and you know it's it's not possible to just put the same document uh, together and then submit it in each country so i think the the example that you would be most familiar with yourself is um gdpr and the gdpr regulations so uh, for example the uk and northern ireland we have implemented gdpr as part of our law um uh, and and these uh, look at data privacy and the you know informed consent. Um, whereas in Ireland they have implemented GDPR as part of the Health Research Regulations Act, um, and this is a much more strict act which has human tissue um, reg uh, regulations looking at human tissue. Um, biobanking and and how that can be maintained and it's it's extremely different so you know the, the the documents that we would need to submit in the uk are extremely different from those in ireland okay and um so from a postdoc to where you are now what was the process what was your journey how did you how did you get here <laughs> i mean yeah you laugh because it's true it's a uh, I mean, I, I did take a circuitous route to where I am. Um, so some people on the call will know uh, will know me from my time as a postdoc. Um, so I used to work in the Centre for Infection and Immunity. Um, so I worked in the immunology department there. Um, and I did my PhD before that as well. Um, I, I, I would just maybe try to, to get the point across that um, doing a PhD and a postdoc, we, sh we, we sometimes consider them as jobs um, or, you know, there's, there's a very defined endpoint. And I, I think in industry, um, the feeling is that, you know, you should, you should use it more as a training opportunity. So, you know, you're not just there to, to get a thesis out at the end of it and, and, a, and a PhD diploma. Um, you're not, um, you have to kind of take the the training aspects of it and 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 develop kind of soft skills and and I think that was really useful for me so I did a lot of teaching um, and it gave me a solid kind of grounding on on you know drug development and, and bench research and 
I got my first foray into clinical trials at Queen's do, uh, during my postdoc. Um, I think um, my PhD and my postdoc and, and the teaching experience really helped um, develop my ways of tailoring my communication to different people. So, um, you know, the way that you would speak to a student is probably very different to the way you would speak to your other lecturers. Um, it's also extremely different from um, the way you would speak to the public when you're doing any public outreach, for example, and certainly different from how you would speak to doctors, nurses and data managers and administration, administration staff and things. And I think this is really important. You need to you need to really put yourself out there and, and, and speak to other, other types of people and try to communicate your research and, and things like that. And it really helped uh, me, certainly. Um, when I moved on from Queen's, um, I worked at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Um, so, and I also worked with Trinity College Dublin in their research and innovation centre. And, and this role was really a kind of a, a gateway role from academia into industry. It was a bit of a hybrid situation where I was still heavily involved with research um, in, in, with, with people working in, in the labs, uh, but much more involved as well with dealing with industry. So I was the innovation and trials manager here, and it's where I managed to 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 really manage a team of a team of uh, personnel who were involved in large scale trials, um, mainly focusing on breast cancer and, and prostate cancers. Um, and I managed nurses and postdocs and PhD students that were translating their benchside research into targets that could be used by industry for new medicines. Um, I, I looked at making license agreements with industry. Um, I was heavily involved with patenting um, research and, and, and looking for other grant funding and um, developing those industry academia partnerships. Um, and I think this is really where, you know, I learned how to document um, large scale projects and what was really involved um, to, to market those products and, and get those products uh, to, to patients uh, from the bench side. Um, so I was there for a couple of years and then after this I uh, moved on to Sanofi and, and I started in Sanofi as what's called a clinical research associate um, and, and I really enjoyed this role so I'm, I'm quite a friendly person and those of you who know me like, will know that I like to chat to people. Um, and, you know, in this role, really, um, you work from home for the for the most part of it, um, but you get to travel around to, to different hospitals and different centres. You can travel abroad even, um, visiting doctors and pharmacists uh, that are running the Sanofi trials. And really, the job of a CRA or a clinical research associate is, is to ensure that everybody's working to the protocol. So um, ensuring that they're conducting the trial the way that they're meant to be doing it and documenting um, everything that they do uh, for any marketing uh, applications following the trial. So you really need to be good at problem solving. You need to try and fix all of the errors that happen, you know, the deficiencies that happen during the course of a trial. Um, doctors writing is appalling. Um, and obviously we need to we need that information to be 
accessible easily so that we can we can uh, do our, our marketing authorizations and and get medicines to patients. Um, so I learned loads during this time about managing people and projects. Um, and then I moved up the ladder from a, from a, a clinical research associate to a, a senior clinical research associate with a bit more responsibility. And then I was a lead clinical research associate and that was where I managed particular projects and, and, and other junior members of, of the team. And then I was a clinical project leader in the in the UK where um, I manage whole aspects and whole, whole portfolios of, of, of trials. Um, and after that, I moved into my current role as a, an investigational product manager. So I just think the most important thing is that you've got to be adaptable. Um, you've got to remember, you know, industry is very different from academia and it's not really all just working towards the end point of a grant um, like it might be in in academia it's not all about just getting one paper out um you know in hap in Sanofi it doesn't happen very often but uh, you know it is possible that trials could be cut short at very short notice um due to the safety concerns of the drug or you know that the IMP might not just might not work particularly well and that there is no point continuing when a patient could be treated with something else um so you've got to be really adaptable and, and ready and willing to work on other things. So it's likely that you work on many different and completely separate trials in, in my case, um, or you might work on different areas of research at the same time. So, you know, don't get stuck in a rut. Um, take every day as it comes and, you know, enjoy the differences that, that, that are in them. So you've moved up the ladder quite a lot since you've joined Sanofi. Where do you see yourself going? Are you happy where you are now? Do you have more progression opportunities? What's the future for you? Yeah, so uh, yes, I have. So I've been with Sanofi maybe for about five years now. And in that role, in that time, I've probably had maybe about four or five uh, promotions. Um, and it's been a very, very steady upward uh, transition. Um, so in Sanofi, there are different levels within a within a, a role. So uh, you, you heard me mention about the clinical research associate role, um, and you kind of start as a junior level, and then an intermediate level, and as a senior level, um, and that's very defined. Um, and then Sanofi um, don't like to give too much pressure to move upwards in one trajectory. You can do sideways promotions. Um, and then go up a completely different route. Um, so if you think about if you think about it, maybe like a, a tree, you'd start at the at the bottom at the, at the at the root of the tree, work your way up the trunk, and then you can split off to the to, to different branches and work away from there, and then you can branch off again and again. Um, and I think that you know in Sanofi they are very keen on development of of yourself as well as your job. So um, they are quite keen on um, kind of helping you develop your the way that you want to develop. So in my situation, um, I was uh, ready for a change uh, from from looking at uh, kind of hospital site aspects as a clinical research associate. So I was a bit 
um, I was ready to move on from dealing directly with the, the, the documentation at an individual site and wanted to move up into a more global role. And I wanted to work more with the drug, given my background in drug development. Um, and so I took a sideways shift and then I've worked up the ladder to, to become a, a cluster um, IMP manager. Brilliant. And do you remember how you found your first job in Sanofi? How did you come across the opportunity? Yeah, I mean, you'll laugh, but um, I, I wasn't looking to move. Um, so I, I was headhunted uh, for the CRA role. So I was working uh, at the, as a research and innovation manager. Um, and I, I'd been there for a, a year or two and was ready for the change uh, into industry. So from, from academia, uh, from Queens, uh, which was fully academic, I moved into this research innovation role, which was a bit of a hybrid kind of academic and industrial position. And I was then ready to kind of make the full, the, the, the move to industry and, you know, just on, you know, uh, a bit of a chance really. I, I, I updated my LinkedIn profile with some tags saying, you know, something along the lines of job hunting and, and clinical trials. And then I updated my CV and chucked it on, on my LinkedIn profile as an attachment. And a recruiter just sent me a message. Um, they didn't work for Sanofi. They didn't work for um, anyone attached with Sanofi, but they their entire job is to find people who fit the role of a, of a job description and that's what I, apparently I did um, and I do remember you know the process the process for recruitment at, at that time when we were interviewing both with the you know initial interviews with the recruiter and then further interviews with Sanofi um, they were very different from any interviews that I'd had with um, my PhD supervisors and you know the the interviews I'd had as postdocs and teaching fellows. Um, they, they, they're what's called competency-based interviews, so they, they use a start method. So that's where um, you would state a situation, um, organise what task you did and explain the task you did, explain your actions, so how did you complete that task. You'd then explain the result of that uh, situation. Did it work well? Did it not? Uh, what could have went better? And then the timeline, how long did it take for that to actually happen? And, you know, learning that that skill of how to explain and answer questions was really useful for me. I still use it uh, to this day. Um, so, yeah, I, I was headhunted and for, for industry and it, it, it was um, a very confusing and, and, and ridiculous part of my life. Yeah, but it shows the importance of having a clear uh, and updated online profile, which I think everybody's guilty of not having or not not yeah. updating regularly, <laughs> but like you're the proof that it's worth it. Um, now, if we look in terms, because I'm sure there's a lot of postdocs who are listening to this and are wondering if they would enjoy your role or if they would be competitive for this type of position, what do you think is like quite shortly, what, what would be the profile of the people who can like be happy doing what you do? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, for me, it's you've got to be certainly you work from home, so you've got to be capable of working in isolation um, and you're not isolated. You just don't see people in person. You, you're on the phone, you're in Zoom meetings, you're in, you know, work groups all the time. So, you know, you, in, in that situation, you're not you're not um, you know, isolated, but you do have to be able to work by yourself. And I think a lot of people who work on the bench are more than capable of doing this. Um, you know, in terms of a role in pharmaceutics, you you do need a background in science, I think. It's not, strictly speaking, um, required for every position, but it does really help because, um, you know, you can pick up the scientific rationale before absolutely, you know, behind absolutely everything that we do. Um, I think though, you know, if at the end of the day, um, you know, everybody who does a PhD will get a PhD degree, you know, that the, the, they'll all come out with the same certificate at the end of the day. And um, in terms of postdocs, it really, what sets you apart from your colleagues is, you know, the differences. So the soft skills are, are really key in industry. You know, it's not just what techniques that you know, it's how you actually work. Um, so, you know, people do forget the soft skills, you know, can you work to deadlines? You know, sometimes there is little as a deer, sometimes only a couple of hours. Um, your documentation needs to be on point. So, you know, like I said before, it's a highly regulated industry um, and, you know, missing a bit of documentation can be the difference between getting approval in a given country to market our drug. Um, and, you know, depending upon whether we get it or not, or if it's delayed, that can mean millions and millions of pounds in profit or loss. Um, I think the other key thing, you know, uh, and something that postdocs and, and students have in spades. You know, you've got to be able to follow processes and procedures, you know, so you know what needs to be done and when. Um, and then uh, I guess, you know, again, you've got to be able to work by yourself, but also, you know, sure that you can work as part of a team. So Sanofi, um, you know, there's no blame culture really. Um, it's a massive company. Um, and, and the way that it works and the way that it it has to work is that everybody has a very defined job. They know what they have to do and they know how their job feeds into other people's jobs. So you have to be accountable for the work that you do. Um, you know, you've got to be adaptable so that, you know, you can cover for other people if necessary. And, you know, know that if, if you don't do your job potentially, then other people can't do theirs. And, and the end product of that is that there might be a delay getting patients medicine. And, and you know, again, we, we need to really, that, that's the end goal of, of the industry is to, to treat these patients who've got these horrible diseases um, and improve their quality of life. Yes. And was there any specific qualification or certification that you had to pick up along the way to be eligible for your role? Yeah, so certainly um, you, for my role particularly, you definitely need a PhD. Um, it involves a lot of complicated science. 
um, that you know I think a PhD really helps to um, help you understand that. Um, uh, I, I'm involved in in quality um, of the of the drug, and as such, I need to be able to review um, and approve that IMP and how it's prepared at different sites. So a keen eye is really needed for that. And I will be the first to admit, um, certainly as a PhD student, less so as a postdoc, um, my documentation could have been better. And I think this is even now um, something that we can always uh, look to improve. So certainly ensure that your documentation is on point. Um, in terms of pharmaceutical industries, I would uh, highly recommend people um, look into good clinical practice regulations and um, it's called GXP regulations. So that involves good manufacturing processes and practices, good laboratory management practices, good distribution practice, good pharmacovigilance practice. So the, the, the practice of, of reporting any side effects and adverse events. Uh, associated with IMP, um, they're all free on the on the EU website. So I'd highly recommend um, looking them up. And I do know that uh, Queen's runs a couple of courses every now and again, although I, I'm not sure how frequent they are. But it's uh, highly recommended that you look into them. Um, so yeah, the, 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 a lot of it is soft skills. I would highly recommend. Um, Having a having a, a thought to yourself about what you think you do really well, uh, what you think you do um, maybe not so well, and um, looking into how how you can improve those uh, rather than a specific piece of paper. So now we're going to talk about the process of leaving academia and transitioning. Um, I think, like most postdocs. Uh, there was a time that you considered becoming an academic, that it was your career plan. Can you tell us what made you change your mind? How did it happen for you? Yeah, um, so I guess everybody knows, you know, the typical career path is, you know, you get your bachelor's, a master's maybe, a PhD, a postdoc, then you're a lecturer, you go on to become a professor and a head of department, and then you become the head of the world. And, and I think I was stuck really in that chain of thought. Um, and the thing I get about it, I guess, is I really loved it. Um, I really liked that idea of, 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 of where I was going. And that, that was really where I was going. And, you know, from, from my undergraduate degree, that was the, the pathway that I was going to take. And, and that's because I liked planning my own day. I liked researching what I wanted to research, doing all the wonderful experiments, getting all of the lovely, you know, lovely results. Um, the, you know, and I think the thing that I was unprepared for was the the amount of hard work that is required for this. It's not as easy as people think. Um, you know, in in you know, we we as PhD students and postdocs, we work endless hours. Um, at a bench and um, writing up results and things. And I think 
you know, as a lecturer, it's a, a stage above that where, you know, your entire life has to revolve around planning research years in advance and, and asking for money uh, in the form of grants and, and, and agreements with industry and, and things. And I, I was unprepared for how difficult that would be. Um, you know, at, at the heart of me, I'm a, a quite a social person. I like doing the work. Um, I don't I, I, I don't like planning for years and years in advance. And, I, you know, I really hate rejection. Um, it, it gets me down. You know, you put your life and soul into things that don't become fruitful. Um, and I didn't like the idea of having to work until midnight every every night and on weekends, um, getting last minute results for a grant application. And, and it took a huge long time to come to the conclusion that I, I was done with academia. I think those people who, who, who knew me knew that I was finished with academia far before I did. So I think my um, my suggestion would be to, to, to listen to your colleagues and, and, and talk to your colleagues about things um, because I was unhappy for a lot longer than I realised. Um, my new job is less stressful in that situation, um, in, in that, that case, but it's it's more stressful in, in others. So it kind of it swings and roundabouts. Um, at the moment, I think, you know, working, working where I am and what I'm doing, I, I think it really, it impacts patient lives much more than what I was doing at the bench. Um, equally well though, you know, there's a real possibility if I mess up that patient's safety is affected and that people could get hurt. So it, it's, again, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, and, and now that you've been away from academia for a little while, do you actually regret leaving? Um, no, I, I, no, I don't. I, I think, you know, I've thought about this for a while. Did I regret it? And I don't think I did. I really loved it when I was there. Um, I'm really thankful for the time um, and the experience and the education I got. I loved work. I loved working at Queen's and, you know, loved chatting with everybody and things like that. Um, but it, it, you know, I don't think it was right for me. Um, I like logging off at the end of a day's work. So I usually log off around five um, and then I don't have to think about things until the next day. I don't have to work weekends. I don't have to worry about any grant applications and certainly I don't know to, you know, it's the stress of worrying about where my salary is going to come from in the next year or two is, is diminished, you know, to, you know, unless I'm thinking about leaving and I'm doing a good job. Um, I know that my, my job's stable, so I don't think I regret leaving academia, to be honest. Yes, to be fair, everybody who's left, and I asked that same question, I don't think anybody has said to me so far that they regretted leaving. Uh, I think sometimes we think that there's only one job that we could love, but there's actually plenty of jobs we could love and enjoy and and you at different stages in your life you're going to enjoy different things so you know it's true that you know what you leave behind you don't know what you're going to get but often you know if you don't change at all nothing yeah. will change Absolutely. so it's it's always worth sometimes getting a bit of risk and, and trying out something new um however it's a it's it can be quite a big change from 
academia to industry. So for you, what was the most difficult thing to, to adapt when you transition or to, to deal with? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the most difficult thing really was just not really knowing how to. Um, and, you know, I think this is where these kind of chats and, and the programme you do in Elise is, is quite useful. So, um, you know, they weren't available for me. So, you know, it's a little bit of a bubble in academia where traditionally the industry is the bad guy. And unless you're doing benchside research that's in academia, it's not really worth doing. So, um, you know, there's there is this bit of a feeling maybe that, you know, if you're moving to industry, you're going to the dark side. And, and I don't think that's true. Um, I think the you know, in order to kind of reduce the difficulties and what I think, you know, people should be thinking really about a concrete career progression and having an idea in their head, really, where they're going to go. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be I'm going to do A, then move on to B, then move on to C. It's much more, you know, having a little think about what you enjoy on a day to day basis. So do you like writing? Then maybe you could be a scientific writer. Do you like speaking? Then, you know, would you like to do public engagement? Do you would you rather in, be involved in policy drafting or, or things like that? You know, do you like travel? You know, so then, you know, you might be interested in sales. And I think I just have to make the point about sales. You know, it's not you're not you're not you're not field in research. If you go into sales, it, it needs, you know, you're you're the the end step. You're where the where the drug gets to the patient and to the hospital and also brings in money so that we can afford to spend six billion euros on research. Um, you might really be interested in in just reading journals. You might absolutely love reading journals and and looking at the data and analysing that in in the you know, among, you know, all of the other research that's there. And in that case, you might want to be some sort of medical science liaison. And these guys go around and answer questions by doctors and nurses that really do drill in deep to, you know, the research rather than selling an IMP or selling a drug or, or, or assessing a, um, a facility for, for use in a clinical trial. Medical science liaisons are there to, to answer questions uh, that, that healthcare professionals might have. You might absolutely love documentation, and, 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 and in that case, maybe you're a bit strange, um, but you might like that. And um, in that case, you know, you might absolutely love a job in regulatory affairs. And, and, and equally, do you absolutely love working by the rules? And in this case, you know, you could work in quality assurance departments and human resources. So I think there's, you know, just because you're leaving academia to go into industry doesn't mean, you know, you'll be working at a bench in, in industry doing research. There's all other different jobs that are required in order to make a, a successful go at it. Yes, there's for all shapes and size. There's yeah. things to, that can sit, yeah. And was anything, did anything really surprise you when you transitioned? Some things that you you were picturing completely wrong in your head? Yeah, uh, I, I guess so. Yeah, I think the thing that it, that surprised me the most, and this is probably just from the way I worked in academia. You know, I 
was quite driven and, you know, I was very, quite disorganized, if I'm completely honest as well. Um, and that meant that I was working a lot of hours and needing to kind of be in the lab all hours of the day. Um, and industry just is not like that. The people in the industry do not work like that. Um, you know, you have a very defined work day and that's it. And if it's not done in that day, then it has to wait until the next day. You know, there's no sending an email at 10, 10 p.m. You know, to a colleague who's not going to pick it up until the next day. And I think that was kind of uh, very mind changing for me, you know, changing the way that I had worked in academia um, to, to fit in and adapt with how industry works. Um, again, um, you know, industry, because it's highly, it certainly with Sanofi, um, because we're highly regulated, everything has a very defined way of doing things. So, um, you know, it's, it's not difficult to do. There's just a lot of work to do. Um, so fitting into that situation and, and kind of where finding out where I work and what my role is, uh, was again, a little bit of a, a transitional nightmare, but uh, you know, they were very helpful. Um, and, and it, you know, the transition was smooth in the end. Another question from the audience here, um, saying that there's always a gap between working in academia and industry. How did you manage to fill this gap? Yeah, so I actually didn't have a gap, Ishmael. So, um, so I went from a postdoc position teaching fellow in Queen's University and um, a, an advertisement went around for a, for a, a research and innovation manager position um, that was EU funded at, at RCSI in Ireland. Um, and I applied for it and got the job. Um, so the, the, there is no need to have a gap unless, you know, you really want a gap. Um, you know, the, there is a, there is, at the end of the day, it is a job. Uh, you know, the, the, there is, you have to think about your own career. You know, as a postdoc, we are taught to publish or perish. Um, but, you know, if there is a, a, another position that is available that will help you develop your career, then you do have to have in mind that, you know, you have to do what's best for yourself. Yes, and I guess in terms of gap, maybe not in time gap, but in kind of culture gap, you had that kind of intermediate position in which you were linked to academia, but but linked to industry. So it, it kind of smoothened probably that transition for you. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, so as a, in terms of culture, um, I worked at Queen's for a long time and, and got into the mindset of the academic. And, you know, at the end, I wasn't a happy person. And, you know, I did move on. And, and as Elise points out, you know, there was that intermediate position. But equally, I think, you know, the 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 way that industry works isn't necessarily what people in academia think. Um, everybody is keenly aware that, you know, they're a small cog in a big machine and everybody is quite helpful and will direct you when you need direction and 
and will ask you for help as well when when they can't do things. So I, I don't think the, the you know the the transition is as hard as academics sometimes think it is. Uh, thank you, Sean. Just, uh, just I want to comment on this. Um, for example, I, I'm, I'm a formulation scientist. Uh, uh, whenever I want to move to industry, there's always a, they ask you. Uh, you have to be working in GMB manufacturing uh, regulated uh, environment, or uh, you have like a six sigma certificate, or mm -hmm. you know these uh, things. And in academia, you know that you work in the bench, you don't have this GLB or GMB. Uh, so, so that will prevent you from moving from academia to the industry. So that's like the same, I think, is yeah. we were lucky for moving into from Queens to uh, uh, Royal uh, Surgeon of, of Ireland at Trinity. So it's and you got intermediate position. So and then you easy move to, to yeah. where you are, you are now. Absolutely, Ishmael. So there are, um, obviously there are, this, this, I think- Sorry guys, what, just because we're gonna have to edit yeah. that bit out. Um, can you just start talking if like there was no specific question in front of it? <laughs> Thanks. Okay. That's fine. Um, yes, so Ishmael, um, again, in answer to your question, um, I think we have to be um, more thoughtful about kind of the things that we require in our jobs. So this, you know, if you're moving from academia to industry, um, there are certain things that industry requires. So Ishmael, I think you're a formulation scientist, so you would need um, GMP um, certification and experience. And these are things that you can get working in academia. So there are courses you can take uh, that show um, and, and, and teach you the basics and the fundamentals of good manufacturing process and good, good manufacturing practice. Um, so you can receive certifications whilst working as a postdoc. Um, and then you have to remember, you know, if you're if you are involved in projects that are you know requiring manufacture well then you won't be maybe doing large-scale manufacturing but you will still be having experience of GMP and you will still be looking at quality and batch processes and batch formulations which are required um, for transitioning into industry so don't sell yourself short I think I think you could you you know have a think about where you want to go and what qualifications would be helpful you know not all industry requires you to to have those qualifications when you when you start work you can gain those qualifications when you're actually in the position um, but they obviously will put you ahead of the game uh, for competition brilliant thank you sean and uh, i think there's no other questions in the chat so we're going to move on to the last part which will be shorter and you've you've talked a little bit about that about working from home because we have all been forced by the pandemics to work from home for a while it's been challenging for some uh, but you've been doing that for years so you told us before that you enjoy it but in general like how has it changed maybe impacted your life yeah i absolutely love it i don't think i could go back to working in an office full time um, i've worked from uh, my home now for five years um, 
with an occasional jaunt to a hospital to talk to to, to doctors. Um, you know, Sanofi's really fed up to have their staff working from home and in the field. Um, I do think, though, it's really important to be regimented for the most part. It's really easy to slip into a like a, a, a mindset of I'll just work a couple of hours extra in the night um, and, you know, it's a really slippery slope. Um, you just need to have the right setup and that differs from everybody. Um, I like, you know, I like having Netflix on in the background or just have the radio on because I like a bit of noise. Um, I, you know, equally every now and again, I'll go and work in the Costa shop or in the park just to get outside. You know, I can you know, work equally well from just my laptop. Um, you know, some other people, you know, need the discipline that's required from working in an office or having a, a separate home office so they can't work in their kitchen or, or whatever. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's all down to you. You have to have a bit of a think about how you work best and, and, and how you can be productive. That's the aim of it. You know, there's no point working from home if you're not going to be as productive or, or more productive than when you're working with everybody else in an office. Um, you know, I am really sociable and, you know, those who know me know that I used to love going to Clements for really long coffees and just chatting with people, um, you know, in the, in the, in the Bria area for long loads uh, of time. So, you know, working from home means I don't have all those uh, distractions and I'm more productive because of it. Do you find it difficult to like stay focused and motivated to interact a lot with people or are you a lot by yourself? Yeah, I mean, it, it's completely impacted my life. Um, you know, I'm, I've loads of time on me. Um, you know, I've got lots, I don't have a commute, so I don't have to walk to the office in the rain. Um, in terms of kind of compartmentalizing my life, I guess, um, it's, you know, you've got to be more strict with yourself. You've got to, you know, most things will wait till the next day, but you've got to, you know, have a plan. Uh, you've got to remain focused. You've got to, you know, I think, make, make sure, break up your day into bite-sized chunks and, and have regular meetings with everybody in order to, um, kind of review the work you've done and review how that fits in with other people. And then also equally, how does their work impact you? Um, and I think that's the way that I stay focused and motivated. Uh, you know, it all comes down to, to communicating, you know, working from home is difficult, but, you know, you, you break a big job into little jobs and, and take lots of breaks. My last question for you, Sean, would be if you could go back in time, what would you tell your postdoc self if you had like one tip or one piece of wisdom? What would you say to yourself as a postdoc? So I think take the risk would be um, would be my one piece of advice. So um, Sanofi, I have a new CEO and I, I actually quite like um, his thought process and so Sanofi have a play to win attitude. So, um, you know, as opposed to the usual way that we maybe get stuck in, which is a, 
a play not to lose way of thinking. And, you know, it, 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 it is all about taking a risk as long as you've tried your best, you've done everything you can. Um, you know, it might not work, but if it did, you know, it would have been so much better. Um, you know, don't just get stuck in the mindset of just doing things just because that's the way it's done or because you've got to cover yourself and cover your tracks for other people, you know, and that's just that's just taking time away from from effort that could be spent, you know, better elsewhere. So I think, you know, past Sean should have took the risk a bit quicker and and moved on a bit quicker and not, you know, had a bit more thought of of, of my own, you know, career progression. Brilliant. I think that's a type of advice that most people would do. Uh, you sometimes a bit afraid of what the future could be and it's difficult to move on. But actually, once you've done it, you always wish you would have done it before. Um, but Sean, I think this has been very, very insightful, very helpful for everybody who was there. Uh, I'll thank you so much for all your help, all your insights today. Uh, this, was, this was brilliant. And uh, the guys who join in, thank you very much for joining in and for uh, meeting us today. But thank you very much and goodbye to you all. Thank you very much. It's been uh, really, really nice speaking to you all. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave us some feedback on iTunes or on go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast PDC. Bye.